Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. I'm your host, Nick Sigelski, and I'm joined by my co-host today, Armand Farouk. And today we have a round two with Nick Casali, who is the CEO over at Handoffs.com. Armand, why should people listen? Well, folks, there is a new trend in town. Back in the 80s, it was the fastest printer in the West, and then it was the single source of truth. And today, it's the AI-enabled SaaS platform. And if that is how you are talking about your product, Nick Casale is going to throw your pitch in the trash and explain what you should do instead. A three, a two, a one. Don't throw this episode in the trash. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. All right, Nick, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. All righty. Thanks, guys. So my first one is pick up the phone. I think this means I'm officially old because that's my sales advice. But now more than ever with AI starting to be able to do more and more of sales' job, harder than ever to figure out what is a person, what is the AI. The one thing for sure, full stop, that AI is not doing is picking up the phone, having a genuine, authentic conversation with your prospects, with your active deals, whenever you can pick up the phone. That's number one. Beautiful. What's number two? Do not say the word AI on a sales call. AI doesn't matter. It doesn't deliver value for your customers. 
This is basically like trying to pitch that you're a cloud-based company. Again, it's infrastructure level. It's how you do what you do. It's not why you do what you do. So focus on the value the AI is delivering. Don't lean on the word AI. Don't say the word AI. Trust me, this will help. Very nice. Round us out. What's number three? And my number three is referral-based selling. This is also something that AI can't really do for you today. You can use some awesome platforms out there. Shout out to Cabal to try to make this simpler for you. But if you're not asking for referrals, if you're not creating a consistent process for referrals, I think you're leaving the biggest upside, the biggest easy upside ever on the table. And when this starts working, these will close at a crazy high rate for you too. All righty, Nick. So I'm a little bit of a grouchy old man when it comes to AI because people tell me AI is going to automate my job automate my sales coaching. And then I look at some of these AI tailored emails and I'm like, that was definitely not written by a human. And so I'm curious, you're much more into this than me. If you look at the different repetitive workflows, things that take up time in a sales day, where do you think that AI shines the most in terms of use cases that are actually close to practical today? I think AI is actually gonna do us all a huge favor. I think it's gonna clear out the reps who are just phoning it in and are sitting on their outreach or their sales loft and clicking start sequence. That can all be automated. I think it's gonna do us a huge favor by getting rid of all of the crap, the work that basically we sit there and we feel like monkeys because we're doing the same thing over and over. Like when I started as an SDR, prospecting was just sitting on LinkedIn trying to find people that were in our ICP, going to another platform and trying to find their email, adding them to Salesforce. Some of that's already been automated a lot, but AI is gonna basically say, hey, just tell us who you sell to. We'll pull in all the contacts with all the information and personalization points for all of them so that you can then just go about, it, that basically is gonna save you hours and hours and hours of grunt work. So again, you can focus on selling and doing your job with human intuition, with true human personalization and actually trying to get the other person on their line to take the meeting, buy your service, whatever it is you're actually trying to do. So one of the things you were telling me and Armand on the pre-show was step one, you are doing a analysis of your time to figure out where is Nick spending his time in any given week? And then what you are doing, you are identifying things that can be taken off your plate with either outsourcing or AI, automation, et cetera. Before we talk about what you're outsourcing and how, I want to know, like, how did you actually do your time overview assessment thing? Were you using like an Excel doc? How did you actually take stock of where you were spending your time before you chose what you were going to automate? In terms of auditing your time, I'm not a very organized person. So I'll tell you how I did it, then I'll tell you how you should do it. <laughs> I did it with a notepad next to my desk. And whenever I felt like something was taking too long, I just made a note of what I was doing and would kind of keep tallies next to it. And then after a couple of weeks or so, I was like, okay, up here is LinkedIn. I was spending a ton of time doing these five things on LinkedIn. The second one is meeting prep. It's only five, 10 minutes each time, but I've got all these meetings. I'd love to automate all this. And so you start to notice patterns, even with a really simple sort of methodology. There's actually tools you can do that'll measure it automatically and you can use Excel. I wouldn't focus a ton of time on how to track, just try to get a sense and then Try to one at a time start to think about how can I automate this? And is there a way to just take this off my plate so I can focus on where my time is best time? Let's dive deep into one of these. So you mentioned you were doing a million different things on LinkedIn. 
the amount of times where I've just repetitively clicked the connect button, sent the same first message with a moderate amount of tailoring, did a bubble up after the first message. It's just truly mind numbing to do that level of prospecting. Have you found anything as it pertains to some of your workflows on LinkedIn that were very easy to automate or outsource to another human being that might cost a little bit less than you? Yeah, 100%. So one, I think Upwork is one of the most underutilized things in sales. You can get any sort of menial task you're doing, you can get done for a couple bucks, honestly. So LinkedIn is probably the biggest one. The other one, like I said, is meeting prep. But what I think is exciting about this is that it is hyper-specific to what you're doing. And it, that answer is going to be different for everyone. Those are the two that I think are consistent for everyone in sales. So I want to ask about LinkedIn. Like, What did you do with LinkedIn to take stuff off your plate? So I'm selling into a new market now, other than the one I had been selling into for a really long time. So I honestly just wanted to build up my network to be connected to a lot more people that were in my now ICP. So I just automated, I created lists, which take two minutes to actually create the list. The hard work is actually going through and to our modest point, click, click, click. So I just automated the process, which you could do through Upwork. You could have someone like log into your account and do it, or you can do it through a couple other tools. But it's not false. I'm not not reaching out. I'm just automating something that I would do anyway and would take me way longer. But yeah, you just have them basically do that process of connecting with all the people that you want to have in your network because we all know it's a lot easier to go in and send those messages when you're already connected to someone than if it's completely cold. And you start to have people notice these chains of mutuals where they're like, okay, connected to these other 30 people I know that are CS leaders or whatever it might be, that's a really good sign. Yeah. One thing that I was doing related to the prep itself is a lot of times I'll find that a seller will say, I cannot automate my call prep. And the reason for that is I need to look around the account. I need to crawl the web for anything that could be interesting. You cannot put all of those things into a table. That is extremely incorrect. I literally put all of my call prep in a table. It was always the name of the company, a description of what they do, the person title and their tenure, and then as many other people in their department as I could find that were at, above, or one level below that person. I would ask a virtual assistant to drop links to all of those people's profile links on LinkedIn into that table, in addition to their most recent funding history and all that stuff, so that 90% of the research was already done upon stepping into my calls. And if I was managing three, four, five calls a day, this would literally take me about an hour to do myself. Instead, what would happen is I would just have someone read my calendar for the next day. And then at the end of the day, I would start to prep for my meetings and I would open with an 80% done prep doc for every single customer. And then you can do your quick skim once someone has already filled in most of the lines around your prep. I couldn't agree more. But the other thing that it'll free up to do if you can automate public research is you can focus your time on private research. And I think this is a massive opportunity too for any sellers out there, where if you notice that a company is selling, you know, let's use pay of our mom, we used to work, right? It's compensation. If you were going to sell into say Reebok and you notice that someone had already spoken to say Nike, you can actually focus your time on going and talking to that AE, right? Or you can focus on listening back to those phone calls or, or really understanding, hey, what is behind our walls that I can understand a little bit better and bring to this deal now that I have all of this public information. And once you have the public information all automated, you'll find these other dots that you can connect. So you can say one of this company's say key objectives for 2024 is sustainability. I'm gonna actually slack the team and say, has anyone talked to anyone about sustainability? 
as a key focus. How did you take that conversation? What worked and what didn't? And you can focus again on what AI can't do, which is having conversations within your team and understanding sort of that collective knowledge that you have internally that no one else can find on the web, not your competitors, not other sellers, et cetera. And when you compound the two, I think is when you can hit a home run. So I want to transition to one of the other things we were talking about in the pre-show where you were telling us about how impactful referral-based selling has been for you. Mm -hmm. And it's been something that I've personally leaned on pretty hard here when I sell at 30 Minutes to President's Club. And I'm curious if you can talk to me about what your referral selling approach looks like, Nick. I mean, I think of it in three buckets. I think there's referral-based prospecting, there's a referral-based selling, and then there's referral-based closing. You should have a consistent process for how you leverage all three of them. Again, I give Cabal a shout out. It's the only tool I know of that really does this, honestly, and, and I'm a mega user. But referral-based prospecting effectively is finding that wider web of connections so that you can basically say, hey, look, beyond my network, who within our business or who that is a advocate of our company is connected to someone that I'd like to sell to? And this is something, again, that you could think about outsourcing through Upwork if you wanted to, or you could use a platform to do it. There are ways to do this that will save you a ton of time, but go one layer beyond just who you're connected to and ask, who is my CEO? Who is my VP of sales, my CRO, my VP of engineering, the leader of my company, my investors? Who are they connected to where I can make a soft ask and say, hey, can you make a warm intro? 100%, that's something where you're asking a huge favor, of course, but when your VC, VP of sales picks up the phone and asks someone to take a meeting, Again, they know that's not AI. That's a 100% human interaction that's going to have an incredibly high hit rate for you. So that's one. And I would do that also throughout the sales process, continue to try to multi-thread through this. But I would also, if you're already selling the deal, I would try to understand who that person is connected to that you've sold before. Or I would say, hey, Nick, you just mentioned two things actually that are jogging my memory from a conversation I had with Sarah over at Google, do you know Sarah? And almost imply that they should if they don't already. What I would not do here is don't make it about your product. And this is key. This is just you two are peers and it has to be authentic, but start to train your brain to think this way. And you'll start to find these patterns when you're on calls, even if you have to force it at first. Do you know Sarah yet? What you just said reminds me 100% of a conversation I had with Sarah two weeks ago. Actually, if you're up for it, she loves connecting with other people in the space. I think you two should chat. And if you do this really well, it's a value add for absolutely everyone involved. Because who doesn't want to also connect with someone who is like-minded, they can both level up through that conversation. And by the way, obviously you're doing it because you know Sarah is a huge fan of what you're selling. And you know, it's like Nick said we should talk. Oh yeah, we love them over there. So this one I think is huge. This is a play that I've been running a ton also, Nick. Like when I have deals where, okay, I don't have a meeting for another 10 days, I'm always thinking about what can I do to juice the deal right now? And one of my favorite plays is looking at the VP of marketing's mutual connections that I have with them and being like, oh, cool, they're connected to this customer here. I'm texting my customer and being like, hey, I'm talking to Armand. Would you please go put in a good word for us? And they'll get on the phone. And the next time I meet with that VP, the tenor of that meeting is totally different. And it's kind of nice. You almost have like a sales force of your own customers selling for you. My question for you is, I understand the, okay, 
it should add value for everybody involved. But there's a certain point where I'm like, if I'm a customer, there's only so many coffee chats that I want to get on with people in my space before I'm like, yo, you keep having me sell all your deals for you. Please stop. Are you doing anything special to like not burn your customers out or get them willing to advocate for you again and again and again? Or is it just you're far more likable than me? It takes a certain amount of time because you do have to start to build up sort of that Rolodex of, hey, I've sold X number of accounts. I've worked with X number of people. And I think if you're doing it in a way that's genuine, you don't fall into that trap everyone falls into of like, there's one reference customer we're all just harassing. Don't go harass them to do some huge formal case study for your business because those are a ton of work. But just have it be someone where you do try to genuinely build up. Like, again, you can't force these. It has to be something that's genuine. But I think people just don't even have the motion to do it. But maintain relationships with your customers all this stuff compounds. It's all the best practices from sales. Like if you don't email people, just email them, email them when there's content you think is relevant for them. Email them when there's a new product release, what you're excited about the product release and how that's going to help them. Even if you sold them six months ago and you have no upside on that, like do things genuinely to nurture the relationship. And then you're not asking so much for a favor. You're just saying, hey, I think you too would have a really interesting chat. And you're not making it about your product. You know that's inherently going to be a net benefit, but you're not making it about your product. And this was something that I think our team was really good at this early on at Sendoso because we were really championing a new category. And you start to really understand who buys into what you're doing. And a lot of times, if, it's a, if you're an early stage company as well, everyone who's interested in your product is in a similar sort of cohort on the technology adoption spectrum. And so they have a lot in common in a lot of other ways too. And I think you'll start to see a little bit of a flywheel with this if you do it right. That is an extremely intelligent point because I'm thinking about our own customers where most of our sponsors are sales tech companies who are first dipping their toe into what you might call like podcast advertising or influencer marketing, which some folks consider advertising with 30 MPC. And when I set up a marketer with a referral, oftentimes the conversation is less about 30 MPC and more about the broader strategy of how these companies are marketing to their buyers. You folks listening to this episode are their buyers. And the referral conversation is less about 30 MPC and more about that. And you're right. You get folks now exchanging best practices that aren't always about the product, but that is where it gets really, really, really valuable. And I think too, the more you can, don't frame it as a referral because it's really not. I think everyone feels pretty isolated. And the idea of talking to someone who's doing the job you're doing and understanding how they're doing it, what's going well, what's not going well, is always a valuable conversation. You're being a connector of people. I'm not phenomenal at that. But if you start to build the muscle of doing it within your sales conversations, and then you'll start to see the payoff where these people do actually, maybe they become friends, maybe they hang out. Then you start to build up this reputation of, hey, everyone that connects me with has something super, super interesting. I always learn something on those conversations. So I want to go back to the concept of mid-deal referrals, which is something that both of you guys referenced a little bit earlier on. So let's pretend that you're working with one of your old reps on your team. And one of your reps is working a deal with a champion and you happen to know the CEO on the account. What do you do with that referral? 
Do you meet with the CEO while your rep continues to meet with the champion? Do you introduce the CEO to your rep and sort of keep the champion in the separate world? Like, how do you manage that referral to someone higher in the process without stepping on the toes of your champion? Yeah, I think this is called a lighthouse email, but you just let them know that you're there and then you kind of are going to keep them posted along the way. This tends to be counterintuitive, but generally, it depends what size the company is, but usually the CEO is going to be like, you're in the right place. So what you don't want to do is ask the CEO to basically jump in the boat with you. So what you want to do is just be like, hey, Matt, was awesome to hear a company name come up today. I've got either so-and-so on my team or I'm working with X, Y, and Z. They've been awesome, by the way. Again, just was great to hear your name come up. I'll keep you posted as we go through. But if you end up having any questions, feel free to re- reach out or jump on one of our calls. I think you don't want to leapfrog in that scenario. And again, it completely depends on how the deal is going and a lot of other things. But I think you just want to like raise your hand and, and make it known that you're there. You also can very easily on the conversation with the person just be like, oh, I actually know Matt. Your CEO's a friend of mine or I sold him at a past company or whatever. You want to give everyone the impression that, you know, hey, look, I know I'm in the right place right now and I'm going to stay here. But if anything comes up, Feel free to join us. So Nick, I want to go all the way back to one of the actionable takeaways that you had, where you were talking about how if I say, yeah, and my solution is powered by AI, let me tell you about that. It's probably hurting you more than it helps because you're not talking about the value of AI. You're talking about the underlying architecture, which isn't really the value. And I'm wondering if you can expand on that topic a bit. Yeah, I think if you're telling and you use the word AI as part of your pitch or part of your value prop, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of how people make decisions. But the same thing goes for all the companies right now that just have AI spattered across their homepage or their website. There is no inherent value in AI. There is value in what it allows you to do. One of the best ways I heard this expressed was a CEO or heard speak while ago, actually CEO of Ironclad, but he was talking about how they kept getting questions about if they were going to have AI in their product. And this was like eight years ago. So it was before everyone had AI. And he told his team, look, if people ask about AI, ask them what they want to do. And they'll realize they don't need AI for it. They need our products for it and our feature set. But focus on what they want to do. Now, I'll give you an example. He said, a self-driving car does not have any value. There's no value in a car with AI or the car that self-strive. The value is, would you like to be able to work while you commute to work? I mean, look, for all you know, that person loves driving their car and you just spent all this time talking about this. So again, focus on what allows your customers to do. And I think you're going to come off as a breath of fresh air in the sales process where everyone is focusing on AI. Again, like you said, Nick, no one is talking about, oh, you know, this is cloud-based. So you don't have to download the software and refresh the software because that's table stakes. This is going to happen with AI. 100%, I'll bet you any amount of money right now. Salesforce is out there talking about how there's Einstein with AI, blah, blah. blah. This is all going to come and go so quickly. No one is going to be using the word AI in marketing and in sales. And everyone, it's just going to be table sticks. It's going to be underlying yada, yada. 
And no one in a buying room, I promise you, is sitting there looking at a true business value proposal from two vendors with ROI and going, okay, what are these two going to allow us to do? But this one uses AI. And so I think I'm leaning that direction, even though this other one is going to solve problems A, B, and C for us. That's not a conversation that's happening. No one is doing that. What people want, and a lot of people are expressing this externally as, okay, we're going to use AI to give our SDRs back three hours a day and not have to prospect. That's what they want. They want the time back for the SDRs. They actually don't care how they get it. They're externalizing that as I think we can do it with AI. But actually, if you had a way better way of doing it that didn't use any AI, they'd happily use that and they'd happily pay you for it. So I think that we're all parroting a lot of messaging that we're hearing from our marketing team, our enablement team, or the internet, or our product team, because we just don't understand it. And we're on there with a call and we're like, hey, Armand, great news. Our podcast uses AI. Okay, how's that going to make my job any easier, right? It doesn't. I would really try to force yourself on sales calls not to even use the word AI. Your responsibility as a salesperson is to take all of the inputs and information that you get from your product team, your marketing team, your leadership, which are often going to come in the form of, oh, we just added AI to do this, and translate that to your buyer in terms of this is the problem that we are now solving for you. And all of your language should be translated and adapted for that. Hey, you feel like you're working too much now when you're on your commute to work, you can clear out your inbox because you have a self-driving car. It's not the self-driving car that it is a value. It is the problem that is getting solved that has value. I know that salespeople listening to this are going to stumble up against unsophisticated buyers who are going to ask them somewhat silly questions like, well, does this platform have AI in it? Or if not that, some other silly question that's like, clearly the buyer doesn't really know what they're asking. And how do I respond to that sort of dumb question in an artful way without making my buyer look bad in front of their group, maybe during a demo? At the trap right there, Nick, because as you know, if someone asks a question like that, you have to respond with a question, right? AI, mm-hmm. topic of the minute. Glad you brought it up. Curious, is it something that you're looking for in a solution? Curious, what makes you bring that up? Right? You could get a range of answers from, I'm horrified of AI and I don't want to use it. And that's going to make you go one direction. It's very important to my VP that we use something with AI. That's fascinating. What's making your VP say that? And if you ask the right questions, you'll understand really what they're asking for, which is probably some level of someone figured out that if we have something with AI, we will get this value with a higher degree of consistency or whatever it might be. But no one's looking for AI. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't do anything. No one wants AI. They want time back. They want a higher degree of quality when they're trying to search for answers. They want it easier to get information from their database in plain English. They want it easier to semantically search a large data set. Like the actual value they're looking for has nothing to do with AI or anything you're doing from an infrastructure standpoint, frankly. Yeah, just to round this one out, this reminds me a lot of any sort of feature request that seems to come out of left field from a prospect. When I was selling at PAVE, it was a compensation solution. And oftentimes, performance is attached to compensation changes. And so people would always ask, 
do you integrate with the major performance systems like a lattice, like an insert other performance system here? And I would see a lot of the junior sellers start to sweat because they'd be like, shoot, I know we don't integrate with lattice. This is really, really bad. And our savvy sales engineers or if a senior rep was on the call would always just ask, interesting, I haven't heard that request super often. I'm curious, what were you hoping to do with that? And inevitably, what they would say is, oh, I want to pull in the performance information, which all lives in their HR system, which we do integrate with. And so anytime you get a random feature request, what a prospect is doing is they're trying to piece together in their head how two systems might technically work together or what they think they need in a feature to do a job. And it's your job to figure out what the job is that they want to do and show them the right way to do it whether or not that is with AI. And you can end up dismantling some competitive arguments there too. If a lazy seller from a competitor was like, oh, and we have AI. And then the buyer gets on with you and they're like, oh, okay, this, you know, I'll write that in my little software evaluation checklist. This one has AI. Great. Let me get on with Nick. Hey, Nick, do you guys use AI? Well, why do you want AI? Well, I'm not trying to, I do need AI. Well, let me, let's talk about what you do want to do and get out of a platform. Then all of a sudden you're going to get a check in all the other columns where they actually need to solve problems. And they're going to go, okay, well, I think we know what we need here, right? The first one uses AI. We spent the whole time talking about AI, but I actually don't really understand what business problems it's going to solve for us. You're so right. This reminds me of the first time you came on the show where you teach your customer the evaluation criteria and you can almost like landmine your customer where it's like, hey, competitor A over there, they're a fine company. They do good work. They've just built their business differently. They've been very focused on this mysterious AI solution. We actually solve all this stuff over here. And so if AI is so, so important, you, you go over there. But if you actually care about A, B, C, D, E, and F, we're probably the better fit. So if you haven't listened to Nick's first episode on the show, I highly, highly recommend it. Nick, we're running out of time and we got to move ourselves to the final question. And so the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really great things that salespeople should be doing. Now I got to ask you about a shouldn't. And so the last question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? I'm going to have to repeat from the first time I was on the show because it's genuinely still my one that grinds my gears. Curate who you follow on LinkedIn, on Twitter, whatever, and really try to be thoughtful about where you take advice. 30MPC is an awesome place to go get advice. There's a lot of other great sales content out there. Be really thoughtful about this. Do not, and LinkedIn will do this. They'll shove someone you don't follow right into your face just because they got a lot of likes and comments. There is so much bad advice on the internet. Please, please, please be thoughtful about who you take advice from. Boom. Beautiful. Nick, thank you for joining us again. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers 
for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with PipeDrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Your top four actionable takeaways from this episode with Nick Casale. Number one, do not neglect internal research when you're preparing for a sales call. There's all sorts of external information that you're able to find when you're prepping for a call, LinkedIn information, your prospect's website, etc. But you should also be looking at, hey, have we talked to this company before? If so, can I talk to the AE who spoke with them? Can I see what other interaction we've had with them? Number two, Prep for your sales calls by understanding lookalike conversations. So if I have a meeting with Nike, I'm going to go find my colleagues who met with Adidas and Puma and figure out what those folks cared about. And that will inform my perspective to run a much more effective sales call. Number three, the lighthouse email. If you have a referral to someone at the top and you want to engage them mid-deal cycle, don't just rope them into the boat. Instead, let them know that the boat is there. Let them know that you're selling and you're working with their awesome champion so that they say, hey, you're in the right place. And then lastly, number four, don't say AI in your sales calls. Instead, focus on the problem they want to solve. What do they want to do? And you can use this to dismantle AI-enabled competitors or any competitor that, that is trying to beat you feature for feature. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out here? Well, folks, believe it or not, Armand takes notes during these 30 MPC recordings, and he sometimes is generous enough to email out all of the sales tips that he's learned from 30 Minutes to President's Club in a weekly 30 MPC newsletter. And if you're not horribly, utterly disgusted by the idea of getting an occasional email from Armand, I might recommend that you check out the show notes to subscribe to that 30 MPC newsletter. Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll see you next week on the show. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, 
pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.